Good evening, and welcome to Demented and Unusual, Season 2, Episode 8. It's just me by myself today, but I will actually be going a little bit into the background of today's subject. Who happens to be Gertrude Benazuski, known as the Torture Mother, born September 19th, 1929, Kill count one, Indianapolis, Indiana. Just like a random little tidbit here, but who the fuck thought of Indianapolis? That's just, it's such a weird name. Anyways, born Gertrude Van Fossen. She was the third of six children, very close to her father and bitter with her mother. Her father died when she was 11. Um, he had a heart attack. And that made her relationship with her mom worse. She ended up dropping out of high school at the age of 16 and married an 18-year-old deputy deputy, deputy named John Benazewski. She had four kids with him. Um, she endured abuse at the hand of her husband who beat her for, quote-unquote, being annoying. Um, they divorced after 10 years of marriage and Gertrude was granted custody of their children. She then married a man named Edward Guthrie. Guthrie? Not sure how, how it's supposed to be said. Anyways, so she married him, and after three months of marriage, he divorced her because he was tired of her children. Real stand-up guy, that Edward. Um, she remarried, remarried, remarried John, had two more kids, and divorced after seven more years of marriage. While she was 37 years old, she began having relations with a 23-year-old. She actually even moved in with them. It's speculated that she was actually having a, having an affair with him towards the end of her marriage with John. Um, anywho, his name was Dennis Lee Wright. Um, he also abused her, and he even caused her to miscarry a few times. And then she had one more child with him. And shortly after, um, he abandoned her. Just kind of up and left. Which, you know, being a single mother of seven, it kind of forced her into destitution. She found herself doing odd jobs such as babysitting and laundry. And, you know, there was unreliable child support from John, so it was nice when it was there, real tough when it wasn't. Um, financial problems became even worse when she learned that her 17-year-old daughter was pregnant from an affair with a married, middle-aged man. And it was also around this time that her health started to give. Um, they don't know what it was that she was chronically ill with, but, you know, she was chronically ill. Um, she didn't practice proper hygiene, she barely ate, and her appearance greatly suffered for it. She was very skeletal looking, she had sunken eyes, her hairline was receding because she was losing her hair, so it just, she was just all sorts of funky looking. Um, July 1965, Paula Banaszewski, which is the 17-year-old daughter, introduced, um... 16-year-old 
Sylvia was uh, she was introduced to 16-year-old Sylvia Marie Likens and her 15-year-old younger sister Jenny. Um, Paula took them back to her house to hang out, and at the time, Sylvia and Jenny's mother Betty was in jail for shoplifting. And so, Paula got to know the girls um, a little more and decided to invite them to stay the night. And what I mean by getting to know them a little more, um, she was just kind of like, I hadn't seen y'all around here, you know, are y'all new? And so they kind of explained their story, which was that Betty just kind of abandoned Lester, which is their father, and essentially, I guess, kidnapped the girls from their father, moved to a new town and everything, didn't tell him where they were, where they were going, just nothing. And ironically enough, the very next day, um, Lester Likens happened to track down Betty and the girls. And he reconciled with his wife while she was still behind bars, where they agreed to travel the U.S. as carnies. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that was the thing then. He then found his way to Gertrude's house, which is where the girls were still, and he struck a deal with quote-unquote Mrs. Wright. Yeah, she she introduced herself as Mrs. Wright instead of, you know, Benazuski or Van Fossen or whatever the fuck. Anyways, the deal was that she would care for the girls for $20 a week while they toured the States. And, you know, had Lester actually observed this house, he could have fucking saved Sylvia's life. He would have seen that it was not a feasible situation. There was no stove, no microwave. There was only bread and crackers in her pantry at the time. There was, like, layers of dirt. Like, you can tell they had not really cleaned at all in a very good while. And there was only enough dishes and flatware for three people. I mean, this lady had seven kids. So in total, there's eight people in this house. And there was only enough beds for about four of them. So, I mean... Yeah, so week one went well, for the most part. Um, they went to school, social functions, church, it was all Gucci. And that was until Lester failed to make his $20 payment. And Benazuski just flipped her shit on the girls. She screamed at them, I took care of you two bitches for nothing. And she forced them to lie across her bed with their skirts and panties around their ankles and proceeded to beat their asses or as um Kristen had said whenever we were discussing it beat their buttocks anywho not long after the incident their parents came to town check on them where they said nothing about being a beat and I could only assume it was because they were probably threatened and afraid I mean but that's just a total assumption I don't know for sure the following week Sylvia and Jenny went through the garbage in the neighborhood in an attempt to collect enough Coke bottles for candy money. Um, successful in their ventures, they returned home with candy, where they were then accused of stealing. Sylvia explained how they got the money for the candy, but Banaszewski 
accused them of lying and beat them as she did before, but with the paddle this time. Not long after this incident, um, the Banaziski kids approached Gertrude after church with complaints of how disgusted they were with the amount of food Sylvia ate. And Gertrude kind of took this to a new level and approached Sylvia and informed her that she was very angry that she would do something to ruin her physical appearance. So as punishment, she forced her to eat a hot dog with like a shit ton of condiments on it. And then when Sylvia threw up, she forced her to eat the vomit too. Um, again, the lichens had came down to town to check on the girls and nothing was said at that time as well. Um, they, they knew nothing about what was going on there. And this was kind of only the beginning. It just got worse from here. Around August of 1965, Gertrude had overheard Sylvia saying she once let a boy feel her up, and I don't know, it just kind of made her snap, because from that point, she was just fucking terrible. She started going off, like, in a cursing fit, and calling her a prostitute, and just all sorts of things in that nature. And then she told the rest of the house that Sylvia was pregnant because she let a boy touch her vagina. Afterwards, she repeatedly kicked her in the crotch. And once this was finished, um, Sylvia tried to sit down, and Paula threw her off the chair and said, you ain't fit to sit in chairs. Like, bitch, you're the one that's pregnant. Anywho, it was at this time that she began letting her children take advantage of Sylvia. She was essentially kind of like a living plaything for them. Like, they would do things such as beat her, throw it on the stairs, just whatever the fuck came to mind is what they were allowed to do. And in an act of vengeance, Sylvia and Jenny started a rumor that Paula and Stephanie, Stephanie being um, the second eldest daughter to Gertrude, um, they started a rumor that they were having sex with boys in exchange for money. When Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, heard about what Sylvia and her sister said, he showed up to Gertrude's house and beat the fuck out of Sylvia. Um, she then invited him and encouraged him to frequently visit and practice his judo on Sylvia. And in case you were wondering, yeah, he took her up on that. Shortly after this, Banaszewski managed to turn Sylvia's best friend, 13-year-old Anna Sisko, against her, by convincing her that Sylvia had been telling boys at school that her mother was a whore. Banaszewski then took Anna to confront Sylvia about it and instructed her in a violent attack against her. Banaszewski also pitted Paula's friend Judy Duke against Sylvia in the same manner, basically just spreading rumors about her mother being easy, you know, just the gist of that. And she instructed them to fistfight each other, and while that was going on, she was telling Sylvia's younger sister Jenny to punch her, who refused to, and ended up getting punched in the face repeatedly until she agreed to punch Sylvia. Like, what the fuck? You know? Like, that's... That's insane. That same month, the vacant house next door um, finally got new owners. Phyllis and Raymond Vermillion. Um, they had two kids. 
And when they noticed how many kids were going in and out of Benazuski's house and how many she had, um, they assumed she would make a good sitter for their children. And, you know, she was like, you know, I could pay them for their service or pay her for her service. And it would be like a win-win. Gertrude gets money, so on. So Phyllis arranged for a backyard barbecue to get to know her and for the family to get to know each other. And while enjoying the social time, Phyllis noticed Sylvia just kind of, I guess, aimlessly wandering around, for lack of a better term. Um, and she saw that she had a very, very pronounced black eye. And Paula just kind of proudly claimed responsibility for it. Then, while Gertrude was watching, um, Paula decided to throw a steaming glass of water in Sylvia's face and the Vermilions did nothing they said nothing like they may as well have not even been there two months later Phyllis went to borrow something from Gertrude and in the short amount of time that she was there she saw that Sylvia was in a daze had swollen lips and her black eye at this point was swollen shut and then Paula, fucking psycho bitch over here, demonstrated to Phyllis how Sylvia wound up by that, by beating her with a belt. And Phyllis, again, did nothing. Around the same time that all of this had happened, Sylvia had told Gertie that she needed a sweatsuit for gym class, to which she replied that they just simply could not afford it. So Sylvia took it upon herself to steal one from school, and when Gertie noticed this, she questioned and eventually coerced an answer out of Sylvia about how she obtained these new clothes. So, you know, she's on, she's getting punished for thievery and kind of like trying to hide how she got it, you know. And somehow in the midst of this encounter, she manages to steer the conversation from being a thief to Sylvia being a prostitute. And at this point, she again loses her shit. She throws Sylvia to the ground, repeatedly kicks her in the crotch, and then made her way back to the original topic at hand, which was, you know, thievery. And her remedy for these quote-unquote sticky fingers was to burn the tips of her fingers with cigarettes. Afterwards, she made Sylvia bend over and take lashings with a belt. And as a result of, the, of this incident, the smokers in the home began putting their cigarettes out on her as a quote-unquote reminder. Like, I don't, I don't know, like... I know, like, a lot of the stuff that you guys are going to hear listening to this episode is fucking insane. And it gets worse from here, so if this is too much, honestly, I would stop because it, it gets worse. I know I just said that, but, like, I'm really just... Yeah. So, I just, I, I'm reading this and doing the research on this. It actually took me about a week because it was just a lot. It was too much sometimes. And I just, I cannot believe that kids did it. Like, uh, anyways, following those events, um, Sylvia again so, sold old Coke bottles for many. And upon her return to the house, Gertie accused her for prostitution yet again. I don't know what the fuck her obsession is with this, but it's what it is. 
She took Likens to the living room, forced her to strip down in front of her sons and other neighborhood kids, um, mainly boys, um, and made her masturbate with a Coke bottle in front of everyone until she reached climax or until she um, just kind of decided that was it. I know uh, later... Um, she ends up making her do this again, and she makes her go until she climaxes. I don't know if she did that in this instance. Um, anyways, this traumatic experience triggered incontinence in Sylvia, and as a result, um, Gertrude started locking her in a basement. She deemed her no longer fit to live with humans, as she could not hold her secretions. Since there was no bathroom in the basement, Sylvia began urinating and defecating on the floor, which caused Banaszewski to call her a dirty girl and just all sorts of other fucking demeaning things. And this was the beginning of Gertrude's new um, bathing regime. And that consisted of filling a tub with scalding hot water, Finding Sylvia's wrists and ankles, and then dunking Sylvia into it. Once she pulled her out of the tub, she would rub handfuls of salt all over her naked body. Um, this would happen irregularly, sometimes once or multiple times a day, or sometimes not even at all. Really just kind of depended on how Psycho Bitch 1 and Psycho Bitch 2 were feeling. During this time, um, Banaszewski had 14-year-old Ricky Hobbs as a personal assistant in all matters, Sylvia Likens. Hobbs was an honor student with no criminal background, no reported behavioral issues, yet he just blindly followed all orders given to him. Like, no matter how heinous they were, he just fucking did it. And based on the sudden shift in personality once he became her assistant, crime reporters actually speculate that he was her lover. Banaszewski's lover, by the way, just to, you know, clarify that. It's speculated that she seduced him and, and convinced him into becoming her henchman. Kind of sick when you think about it. I mean, this whole fucking situation's sick, but anyways. Meanwhile... The Banaszewski clan turned Sylvia into a money-making opportunity. They would charge other kids to stare at her while she was naked. They get they charge a nickel, or to push her down the stairs back to her new home, which was the basement. Um, they kept her naked in the basement more often than not, and they hardly fed her. Um, she was lacking in hygiene. They had her collecting her urine in a container and was surrounded by her own feces a majority of the time. And they would only let her eat in bizarre fashions, such as the time Banaszewski told her she could eat soup, but only if she did it with her fingers while she watched her. Um, I don't know. And Banaszewski and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., would also make her clean uh, the basement by drinking her urine and allowing her to eat. And um, they would make her eat her own feces from the floor. Yeah. 
um, sometime around this period of events, Jenny had reached out to their eldest sister, Diana, and kind of gave her an outline of the things they've endured and pleaded with her to contact the police so that they could rescue them. But Diana thought that Jenny was basically being overdramatic with how they were being punished and, you know, just dissatisfied with it and thought that she was just making things up in order to go live with her and her family. So Diana, piece of shit, did nothing at this point. She kind of redeems herself a little later, but we'll get there. Also, 12-year-old Judy Duke decided to tell her mother that they were beating and kicking Sylvia when she went to visit them. And her mother fucking responded with, that's what happens when someone is punished. Like, what? Um, shortly thereafter, while having coffee in her home with Reverend Roy Julian, she complained about Sylvia being such an intense burden on her. She stated that she was a prostitute who had been servicing married men and wound up pregnant as a result. All the while, it was in fact her daughter, Paula, who was several months pregnant at this time by a married man. Yet Gertrude insisted that Paula was a virgin and Sylvia was trying to pass off her transgressions onto her, her daughter. And they prayed for Sylvia's salvation. Upon the reverend's return to the home, Paula confessed during prayer that she had hatred in her heart for Sylvia, to which her mother interjected that the exact opposite was the truth. And I'm just like, what? Like, ugh. if she's there praying with the reverend, how does how does he not see that she's several months pregnant at this time? I don't know. Eventually, Diana came to visit her sisters and Gertie refused to even let her step foot into the house, claiming that Lester had told her she was not to be allowed in. When Diana had reservations about the claims, Gertrude threatened to call the police and have her arrested for trespassing. So she quote-unquote left. And when I say that, I mean she actually just hid nearby the house until she saw one of the girls, which happened to be Jenny. At which point she approached her and all Jenny said was, I'm not allowed to talk to you. And she took off. Um, by the way, I don't think I mentioned it, but Jenny also, like, was kind of... She needed assistance with walking. She had, like, a cane or something because of, you know, polio. Anyways... Finding the whole situation odd and concerning, she contacted social services. And when the social worker arrived, Gertie said um, she had kicked Sylvia out for being a prostitute and being physically unclean and that she hadn't seen her because she had run away. Benazuski threatened the same treatment for Jenny had she told the social worker the truth of the matter. And so Jenny corroborated the tall tale and the social worker closed the case. Um, October 20th, Robert Bruce Hanlon was arrested at Banaszewski's home after a quarrel regarding Hanlon's missing property. So he shows up and he's like, dude, your fucking kid stole my stuff. You need to give it back. And she's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Get off my property. So she makes him leave. Um, and he attempts to sneak into her house to take his stuff back. And so she calls the cops. 
And meanwhile, Phyllis Vermillion is witnessing all of this commotion and even spoke to the police on behalf of Hanlon, saying, like, I heard everything, this is what happened. Um, and she still never even mentioned Sylvia Likens. Like, you had the perfect opportunity. So October 21st, Gertrude had Sylvia tied to a bed and said that if she can make it through the night without pissing herself, she would be allowed to sleep upstairs again. The next morning when Sylvia went to, uh, when Sylvia, my bad y'all, when Gertrude went to get Sylvia, she saw that she wet the bed. So she made her get dressed, made her go downstairs, put on a strip tease for her sons and the neighborhood kids, and masturbate with a Coke bottle once again, and made her go until she climaxed. When she was finished, Benazuski allowed her to get dressed, and then decided to bring up the lies that she told about Paula and Stephanie and said, you have branded my daughters, so I will brand you. Um, she was forcibly stripped, tied down, and gagged. And her children heated sewing needles with matches until they can get them in, like, as hot as they could. And carved, and she carved part of, uh, I'm sorry. She carved the letter I and part of the letter M and then had Ricky Hobbs continue carving out letters until it spelled, I am a prostitute and proud of it. Yeah. He had to stop at one point because he, he didn't even know how to spell prostitute. Like, I mean, the effort that these people went through is just fucking... Ugh. Anyways... These words were not only carved into her skin, but they were also, like, mostly third-degree burns. And Gertrude left the room and left her bound and gagged. Ten- and eleven-year-old Ricky and Shirley attempted to carve a letter S into her, but ended up making it into a three because they messed up. Um... It's speculated they were doing S for slave, but when they were asked, they said S for Sylvia, but they kind of kept changing their story. I don't know. At this point, Gertrude had returned and asked her, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now. You can't undress in front of everyone, anyone. What are you going to do now? To which she responded, I guess there's nothing I can do. It's on there. You know, once her gag was removed. Um, so they took her back to the basement where Hubbard once again used her for judo practice. On this night, Jenny snuck into the basement to visit Sylvia. And Sylvia told her, I'm going to die. I can feel it. And for some specific reason, or for no specific reason rather... Later that night, Banaszewski randomly grabbed Sylvia and let her sleep in a bed upstairs, where she remained unbothered until around noon the next day. Um, October 23rd, Gertrude woke Sylvia and had Stephanie assist her in giving Sylvia a warm, soapy bath. Once the bath was done, she allowed her to get dressed and told her what to write in a letter. The letter was formally addressed to her parents, and explained that she ran away with the gang of boys and they were the ones that beat her and branded her and all of this other stuff. 
regarding the the way her body was um she also had her right that she made life extremely hard and costly and basically just unlivable for Gertrude that there was so much money she spent on different things and she was just like a delinquent basically um when she finished the letter she overheard Gertrude telling John Jr. and Jenny to take Sylvia to a dumpster and to leave her there to die so you know she freaked out and tried to bolt for the door but being weak and mutilated she was not very fast and she was very easily caught Gertrude eventually got Sylvia to calm down and try to get her to eat, but Sylvia couldn't swallow. Um, so Gertrude took down the carton rod and beat her in the mouth with it. John then took her to the basement and tied her up. Gertrude followed and once again tried to force her to eat, but Sylvia couldn't, and she said, Feed it to the dog, it's hungrier than I am. Um... So, in response, Gertie repeatedly punched her in the stomach. October 24th, Banaszewski went to the basement and attempted to bludgeon Sylvia, but missed twice. It was an actually really weird, like, instance. She just kind of, like, swung full force and missed and swung full force and accidentally popped herself in the face like I don't know it was just really weird so Hubbard stepped in and beat Sylvia unconscious with the broomstick all through the night and into the early morning hours of the next day Sylvia managed to muster the strength to beat the floor with an iron shovel um it was later said that next door neighbors um acknowledged hearing the noise but chose not to report the disturbance. October 26th, Gertrude said that she wanted to bathe Sylvia. So Stephanie and Ricky took her upstairs and laid her in the tub, fully clothed. When they took her out, they realized she wasn't breathing. Um, they attempted CPR, but she was dead. So Gertrude told her to take Sylvia to the basement and strip her naked while Hobbs went to a nearby payphone to call the police. When the police arrived, she handed them the letter, but Jenny Likens had already whispered to an officer that if they could get her out of there, she would tell them everything. So that, in combination of finding Sylvia's body, was pretty much all they needed to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, John, Hobbs, and Hubbard. They also arrested Mike Monroe, Randy Lepper, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko for injury to a person whose charges were later dismissed. Um, Hobbs, Hubbard, Banaszewski, and her children were held without bail. Stephanie's murder charges were dropped. Sylvia's autopsy revealed over 100 cigarette burns various second and third degree burns, muscle and nerve damage, and severe bruising. Her lips were nearly severed because she nearly bit through them. 
her vaginal her vaginal cavity was nearly swollen shut and her hymen was still intact so this along with the fact that her rectum had no rips or tears completely discredited Gertrude's obsession with insisting she was a prostitute. Sylvia's official cause of death was brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging of the brain, and shock. May 1966, the trial had started, and the state was seeking death. Paula wasn't in court much due to the fact that the baby she and her mother swore she wasn't carrying was ready to make its appearance. She named her Gertrude in solidarity. Fucking. Ugh. Everyone else involved had different lawyers and they were all trying to place blame on each other. Um, some of the most damning testimony was when Gertrude took the stand and she went on and on and on about Sylvia being a prostitute and servicing men and starting fights and just all this fucking, like, wayward shit, dude. She even tried to say that the children took advantage of her because she was weak and chronically ill. Then 11-year-old Marie took the stand. So originally she went along with her mother and was just like, yep, that's what happened, whatever my mom said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But then she eventually broke down and just told the absolute fucking horror story shit show of how her mother and her siblings tortured and murdered Sylvia. This testimony was the main reason for the guilty verdict, but surprisingly enough, Gertrude got life without parole instead of death for the first degree murder of Sylvia Likens. Paula was convicted of second-degree murder, but with the help of a plea deal, served three years for (laughs) voluntary manslaughter, and then she was paroled. Um, John, Hubbard, and Hobbs were convicted of manslaughter and served 18 months in juvenile detention. By the time Hobbs got out, the guilt of what he had done weighed heavily on him. He suffered a nervous breakdown, became a chain smoker, and, you know, that kind of ultimately led to his death of lung cancer by the age of 21. Gertrude appealed and was granted a new trial. She was again found guilty, but this time she received a sentence of 18 years to life. She became a model prisoner, worked in a sewing shop, and was up for parole by 1985. Once the public got word of this, there was a bit of an uproar. Jenny Likens actually spoke out on television against her. Um, Anti-crime groups started picket campaigns and collected about 4,500 signatures demanding that she not be released. During her parole hearing, she said, I'm not sure what role I had in it because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. By December 4th, 1985, she was released from prison and went by the name Nadine Van Fossen. In 1990, she also died of lung cancer. So that is the horrendous story of Gertrude Batazewski. I... Don't even know what to say at this point. Like, it's 
fucking terrible. And yeah, she dies, but nobody really got justice for that little girl, dude. And she just, she did nothing. And her parents, like, what the fuck? Like, why would you leave your kids with a random stranger to go be a fucking carny? I don't know, man. Um... If you have any questions or comments on the story, go ahead and send us a message at demented.and.unusual at gmail.com. Or if you have any subject matter that you would like done in a upcoming episode, you can go ahead and send us a message there as well. Well, stay creepy, y'all.